Good morning, everyone. I'm glad that you're here today. Aren't you glad to be in God's house? That was not very enthusiastic. Aren't you glad to be in God's house today? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can clap. It's okay. All right. We are here to worship the Lord. I'm glad that you're here today. I invite you to open your Bible and find with me 1 John. We're in chapter number 4. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, Look with me to 1 John chapter number 4. Today we're thinking about our confident faith. And Paul, uh, John is writing to us about how we can feel confident about our faith and confident in Christ. And that we got, he wants us to know with confidence about our relationship to him. Today's message we're entitled Knowing God. How do I know that I know God? How do I know that I know God? How do you? Can you know God? Is it possible to know that you have eternal life? How do I know that I know him? How do I know that God loves me? How do I know that I'm in a right relationship with God? What is good enough? What makes me good enough? What makes me to be acceptable to God? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's one of, to put it in a Bible word, what does make us good enough? I mean, who speaks for par? In the game of golf, somebody determines what the par is for that hole. If it's a fairly lengthy hole, it's a par five. Meaning, if you're playing good golf, scratch golf, you ought to be able to get the ball in the hole in five strokes. If you're better than par, then you're better than expected. That's a birdie, maybe, or better. But some of us are not as, we don't meet par. And so that's bogey, or double bogey, or triple bogey, or a dreaded snowman. And, uh, and so, Tom, you know what I'm talking about. Not that Tom gets snowmen. I get snowmen. <laughs> a snowman's an eight. You don't brag about an eight. Hey, I got an eight on that par three. Awesome. But what about spiritually? Who speaks for par? God does. What is acceptable? How do I know that I'm accepted in Jesus Christ? Or how do I know I'm accepted before God? And we used to ask this question, and I think it's still a great diagnostic question. Have you come to the place in your life that you know that if you died, you'd go to heaven when you die? Do you know? Can you know? Can you know that when you die, you will go to heaven. You'll be with the Lord. It's an important question. Second question, similar to it. Suppose I stand before God and he should say to me, 
why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? On what basis? What do you think you would say? The Bible tells us that God wants us to know for certain. In 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13, he says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so that brings us to our text today. Look with me, chapter 4, verse number 7. Let's follow along into God's word. Listen to what John says. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Mark that. If, you're, if you mark in your Bible, you might want to mark that. It says everyone who loves has been born of God, begotten of God, and knows God. Do you know God? The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is some of the greatest, most lofty theology in all of John's writings. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. If he, he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior and whoever confesses Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we know we've come to know, there it is, we know that we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that as we examine this text today, that, Father, your Holy Spirit would speak to us about, about whether or not we know you and about abiding in you, and about knowing your love and expressing that love in our lives. Father, we ask you to do business in our lives today. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to convict us. We ask you to encourage us. We ask that you confront us. We ask that you convert us. We ask that you comfort us and strengthen us to carry out what you've called us to do, to be your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. 
Or do you not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail the test. And so here John is giving us a sense of test, a looking at our own lives and saying, do we know God? And notice in verse number seven, it says, first of all, the very very first point here is one of the ways that I know that I know God is that the, the love of God is demonstrated in my life. Do you demonstrate love? Verse number seven, dear friends, Let us love one another because love is from God. Listen to these statements. Listen to the logic of what John is saying to us in these statements. He says, let us love one another. That means let us act in love toward one another. Love is not a feeling here. It is an action. Yes, we feel things, but love acts. And he says, let's love one another. And what he has to say then is love is from God. When you love, it is is proof that it's coming from God. God is love. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The evidence of new birth in your life is not that you walked down an aisle and filled out a card. The evidence that you have new birth in your life is not that you got wet in the baptistry. The evidence that you have new life is love is in your heart and in your life and in your actions. Somebody should say amen. Amen. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The evidence of new birth is is. Just as the evidence of the birth of a baby is life, evidence of new birth, being born again, is love in your life. If there's no love, there's no life there. It's the evidence of an intimate relationship with God, your personal living relationship. Notice in verse number seven, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The word knows there means an intimate relationship with God. This is one of the greatest theological sections in all of John. It's lofty. Notice in verse number 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Do you know him? Do you know the Lord? Have you put, do you know him? In 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 3, look with me, just back a page. In a, we looked at this before. This is how we know that we know him. How do we know it? If we keep his commands. Notice, notice what he says in verse number 4. The one who says, I've come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands as a liar, and the truth isn't in him. Verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God has been made complete. And this is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. What is he saying here? 
What does it mean to keep his commands? That doesn't mean you work and you earn your salvation, but the command of Christ is to love. It's not just saying the words, but it's living out the command of Christ. And so that begs the question, what is the command of Christ? So if you have your Bible, look with me to John's Gospel, chapter number 15. John's Gospel, chapter number 15, and verse number 12. Very clearly, John tells us the command of Christ. This is my command. What? Love one another how as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 17, this is what I command you. Love one another. What is the command of Christ? It's to love one another. It is the love. If there's no love in your heart, no love in your relationships, no love in your actions, then it says there's something desperately, deeply wrong inside of you about that not knowing the love of God in your life. Brennan Manning is a well-known writer. He has written... Um, a book that's very popular about, your, about spiritual life and the love of God and helping us understand the love of God. And it's written by a, name, a man by the name of Brennan Manning and the Ragmuffin Gospel. Brennan Manning has a different first name, Brennan, and he tells the story about how he got his first name. His very best friend when he was in school was... Ray Brennan. Ray Brennan, and uh, they went to junior high together. They went to high school together. They played sports together. They, they hung around with one another. They were best of friends. And he and Ray Brennan both enlisted in the army together. And so they, were, they went through boot camp together. And Ray Brennan was his best friend in all the world they were on the front lines in World War II together. He tells the story as they were in a foxhole. And as they were in a foxhole, he looked over and his friend Ray Brennan had opened up a chocolate candy bar and he was, they were hunkered down in the foxhole and he took a bite of the chocolate and they were talking. They both grew up in Brooklyn, New York. As he was eating the chocolate bar, all of a sudden they heard a noise and a grenade rolled into the foxhole. And Ray Brennan looked at Brennan Manning and he smiled, dropped his chocolate bar and threw himself on the grenade. The grenade went off and Brennan Manning lived. But Ray Brennan died for his friend. Some years later, when Brennan Manning determined to come become a priest, whenever he took his orders, they said, we encourage you to take a new first name. And often, we encourage you to take the name of a saint. 
And he said, my first name will be Brennan. The very one who laid down his life for him. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. He died for you. He gave his very all for you. What does love look like? Jesus said, this is my command that you love one another. So what does love look like? How is love described? You said, Pastor, love is something that we do. What does that look like? Well, it perfectly looks like how Jesus lived his life. But Paul gives us a description of what love looks like. And if you look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse number 4, love is patient. Love is kind. Can we stop there for a moment? I want you to think about not other people, but I'd like you to think about your life. Is, the, is, love, in, is love on display in your life? So here's the question. Here's, here's the statement, and then the question that should follow it is, is this my life? Love is patient. How patient are you? Are you loving? Love is kind. If there's one thing that I find missing today in our world, it's a sense of kindness. Can anybody say amen to this? Love is not envy. That means you're not always competing with others, striving with them, against them, promoting. Love is not boastful. It is not arrogant. We live in a world where if people want to swagger, boast in themselves. Love is not rude. It's not all about you. It's not self-seeking. That's not love. It's not irritable. I wish that one wasn't in there. Especially when I'm driving my car. And some nut jobs in the left lane going 40 and won't move over. Amen. It's hard for me to love at that moment because I'm full of sin. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Well, I might forgive, but I'll never forget. I'll hold on to that. You know that people haven't really forgiven you when something else comes up and they bring back that old laundry list. Love six, number six, verse six says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love looks like Jesus. And when you are filled with Jesus, it looks like love in you. It shows itself in love toward other people. Don't tell me that you love God who you haven't seen when you can't love men whom you do see. So the scripture tells us. This is the proof that you know God, is that your life, the life that you live, looks like Jesus. 
And that means that you've been born again because in your old trespasses and sin, you live for yourself. But when you've been born again, born from above, born anew, and the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you, we see glimpses of Jesus in the way you love and the way you live. Amen? So do I demonstrate love in my life? Second thing is, have I experienced God's love? One of the reasons... We don't express his love as we haven't experienced his love. That's why we can't express it very well. And so in verse number 9, John is reminding us that this is God's love. Well, how did God so love us? If we're to love like God loved us, how did God love us? And have you experienced that love deep in your life? In verse number 9, look with me. Chapter 4, verse 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse number 10, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ is, first of all, understand that Jesus is God's Son. Notice that He is God's Son, that He is the Savior of the world. God loved us so much that He sent His Son so that we might be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Romans 5, God has demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his one and only son, and he sent him as a missionary for our salvation. Jesus Christ, the second Jesus, God the Son, left the throne room of heaven took upon flesh, dwelt among men, and his name was Jesus. He was given that name because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus demonstrated God's love for us. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This was the work of redemption. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he himself, Jesus alone, bore our sins in his body on the cross, on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness because by his wounds you have been healed. All of your sins, all of your failures, all of your rebellion, all of your iniquity, all of your sins, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Jesus Christ died for your sins and for mine. And he became the atoning sacrifice for our sin. 
Your sins are paid in full in Christ Jesus. Can somebody say hallelujah? It's the virus of our sin. It was our own doing and our own rebellion. And the sickness was inside of us. And the consequence was death. But he himself took that sickness inside of himself. And he died our death that we deserve. And he rose again victoriously for all of us. This is atoning sacrifice. It's propitiation. It means that the holy God was satisfied. The wrath of God that was rightly on us because of our sin, but God's holy wrath against sinful men has been turned back and holy God has been satisfied. Because Jesus Christ, the holy man, the perfect man, the just man, the righteous man, died for unrighteous men. And when God looked on that righteous death for unrighteous men, he had, our sins were paid for in full. And he took your sins and your sorrows and he made them his very own. Have you experienced God's grace? I'm telling you, you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. And when you experience his grace, it leads us to the next point. We can express love. Are you expressing love in your life? Are you showing it? Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, verse 11, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides, remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. Verse 12. Verse 13. This is how we know that we remain in him and he and us, he's given us of his spirit. Listen, we cannot express love until we've experienced love. We are to live it out. Love is made complete in us. We abide in Christ and Christ abides in us and the Holy Spirit lives in our life and we've been born again and changed and God is changing our hearts and he's putting love in us. And this is what happens when you experience God's grace and when you've been born again and when you're walking in the Spirit and when the Holy Spirit is leading you and you're worshiping God with your heart and you're not striving in legalism and you're not striving with others in judgmentalism and envying and backbiting and turning on one another and when you actually you want to love you desire to love it's not like saying i got to work it up and i got to work it up today and try to love somebody no it's just it's just you this is the new you that love comes into your life it's like sunshine's been poured into your soul and you're just alive again you become the person that god wanted you to be and there's warmth in your heart and acceptance of others. And there's been the cleansing of all that shame. And you're a child of God. And there's joy in your life. 
and the striving and the working and the judging and the hiding goes away. And you can love. And you're not living like, you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. No. Manipulation. You just love people. First John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We, 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 couldn't, we had no capacity to do it. But then he did work in us. In Jesus, God has poured out his grace on us. And when grace gets into your heart, grace gets into your soul, it just changes you. It, it makes you different. It does. It makes you different because you know some things that are true. I am accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. I am a child of God. Praise his name. I am forgiven of all of my guilt. Every thing in my life I've done wrong, God has completely forgiven me. Can somebody say praise God for that? Not a part of my sins are forgiven. Not just the easy ones to forgive are forgiven. They've all been nailed to the cross and they're paid for in full. And I couldn't pay for any of them, but Jesus did it for me. And I'm liberated. I'm set free to be me. To be the man that God created me to be. And I'm not alone. Ever. Never am I alone. Because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. And I'm healthy. I am healthy. I can be mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy. I am healed of the brokenness because Christ has healed me. By his stripes, I am healed. I am made whole and new and alive. And I have a hope, and I have a future, and I have an identity, and I have security because I didn't save myself and I don't keep myself. He holds me. Amen. And I am loved. I am loved. I am a child of the King, a child of the King with Jesus, my Savior. I'm a child of the King. And I don't have to work to earn my keep. And I have joy and sunshine in my soul. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Dark. Dark is the stain I cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, look, there's flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Amen.
This is grace life. It's fresh and it's alive. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit reminding you. The Holy Spirit dwelling with power in you. To live like Jesus and love others. You say, well, yeah, but Brother Tim, you don't know who I have to deal with. Stop it. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. In Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, in chapter number five, he helps us to understand that the fruit, the demonstration of the Spirit in your life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The law is not against such things. Later in verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Did you see this list of the fruit of the Spirit, how it's very similar to Paul in 1 Corinthians when he describes what love is? That's because the fruit of the Spirit is love in your life. You see, some of us like to think that the proof of the Holy Spirit dwelling in me is my giftedness. No, the proof of the Holy Spirit is not your giftedness. It's your character. It's whether the love of Christ is in your life. The gifts of the Spirit never operate separate from the fruit of the Spirit. That which confirms your knowledge of God is not your giftedness. It is your love. It's not your performance. It's your love. It's not your success. It's your love. It's not your ability to teach. It's your love. It's not your works. It's your love. It's not your tools. It's your love. It's, it is your relationships. It's your, not your orthodoxy. It's your love. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, If I speak with human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that the mountains will be moved, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all of my possessions, if I give over my life, my body, in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Nothing. What matters is love. There's a tempest brewing. It's been brewing for a while. It's in the evangelical world. And it's in Southern Baptist life. And I wish you pray. I, I'm going to the convention this week. And there's an argument about, well, what is right and what is orthodox? And, and there's a litmus test that we all have, litmus test. 
Are you too much of this? Are you too much of that? Are you too compromised on social issues? Are you too Calvinistic? Are you too Arminian? Are you too old school? Are you too young school? Judging one another. We live in a culture, I've never seen it like this, where people line up and are polarized on every kind of issue. And we, we make mountains out of molehills and we, we, we argue over it. But what if we just looked and loved like Jesus? And what if we loved people like Jesus? And what if we quit all the polarizing politics? And what if, we quit stop, what if we stopped labeling people and putting them in the camps and stopped judging one another? And what if we just loved God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength? And what if we loved one another? What would happen? We would get ourselves in alignment with God. We'd get ourselves in alignment. This is what happens when you really love God, when you really worship him. He brings you into alignment with his word and with his will. And when we love each other. I'm telling you, the world is hungry for a concert of love. But the orchestra is fighting with one another. So the message is lost. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you love one another. Number four, confessing Jesus. Are you confessing him in your life? In verse number 14 and 15, notice, if you don't confess Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, you do not know God. Verse number 14, and we have seen and we testify. What do we testify to? That the Father has sent his Son, there's only one way, as the world's Savior. There are not many avenues to God. There's one, and it's in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. Can somebody say amen? John said, John the Baptist said, he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's only one Savior. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. You must understand that Jesus is uniquely the only begotten Son of God. There are not many avenues to God. There's only one, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before others, acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge, confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father is in heaven. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Paul said, there's one mediator between God and men. That is Christ, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. There's salvation found in one. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Paul writes, if Romans 10, 
If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. One believes in the heart resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This week was Bible school and in Bible school we were talking about what's it mean to confess Christ. What does it mean to become a Christian? We used a simple little track that shares the gospel message again and again and again. It's the ABCs. A, admit that you're a sinner and repent of your sin. B, believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for all of our sins and that he rose again. And see, confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Call on his name and you shall be saved. Listen, the message is simple enough. Even a child can accept it and come to a saving knowledge of Christ. God loves you. Christ came for you. Do you know him? And that's the question. Have you come to know him? What more could he do to show you his love for you? You remember the Brennan Manning story I told about the, how he got his name from his friend? He tells a story that he went back to Brooklyn some years later. And he went to see Ray Brennan, his best friend's mother. And while they were sitting visiting, he looked up at a picture of her son. And as he looked at the picture of her son, he looked at her, and he was remembering Ray, and he said to his Ray Brennan's mom, he said, Do you think Ray loved me? And she got up from the sofa she was sitting on. She walked over to him, and he, she said, Jesus. And she shook her bony finger at him. What more could he have done? Brennan Manning said, when I've sometimes stood before the altar or before the cross, and had the audacity to say, do you really love me, God? It's just like the Spirit shakes his finger at me and says, what more could he have done? He gave his life for you. He spent himself for you. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you trusted him? Look with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. The one who has the Son has the life. The one that does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God 
that you may know you have eternal life. Do you know him? Father in heaven, I pray that you have your way in our hearts today in this time of response. And I pray that if there's somebody here that has never turned from sin and trusted in Christ, that today, today, they would turn away, confess their sin, repent, and receive Jesus Christ. There may be somebody here today that knows all the language about Christianity, but as they examine their heart, they see the love of Christ does not dwell in them. And I pray that today they would come and repent of their hypocrisy and surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name.